Welcome back. It's Swing Pass. It's Wednesday, March 9th. We've got another round of huge signings during the AUDL offseason, headlined by Khalif El Salam joining the Atlanta Hustle, announced earlier today, as well as breaking news right now, the Seattle Cascades signing all-defensive team member Drew Swanson for 2022 Drew playing in Chicago the past two seasons for their playoff team. Just another round of big name signings as we continue to march towards the 2022 regular season start on April 29th, which is about eight weeks away. Uh, It creeps ever closer. Daniel, what are your uh, first takes on these signings? Oh, man. I mean, the the Khalif news is obviously huge because he was an all-star in 2019. I, I love all of the all-star movement we've had this offseason with Kyle Henke and Sean McDougal and Antoine Davis leaving Atlanta. But Atlanta was one of those teams that was like right on the cusp of championship weekend last year. And anytime one of those like deep playoff teams can get a huge signing that is really just adding to a Atlanta roster that seems to be largely the same as last year, like very similar despite losing Antoine Davis. You know, also they've signed Bobby Lay and Brad Singens from Tampa Bay. Like, I feel like they should be better on paper this year than they were last year. And this is just the latest signing that adds to that. So I don't know. I mean, we, we talked a bit about before the show, but like the, the idea of Atlanta challenging Carolina consistently in 2022, like obviously I think they're going to have a lot of close games, but is this signing enough to really push them over the edge? I, I don't know. I still, I still favor Carolina, but Atlanta is really right up there and they're just making all of the right moves this off season. Uh, ever since that Antoine Davis announcement that he was signing with New York. Yeah. So let's kind of dig into this El Salam signing a bit further. Uh, he played for the San Diego Growlers last year, of course. Ha- averaged over a block a game, playing mostly for the Growlers' D-line as they made a semifinals appearance against New York, obviously coming up a bit short. It was San Diego's second straight trip to championship weekend without a win, but they've been the head and shoulders favorite out in the West division for the past, you know, two and a half seasons and now kind of heading Mm -hmm. into a third. Uh, That's a big loss for San Diego who relied so much on that depth of defensive playmaking. And now Atlanta gets to add to their D line talent that already features, you know, a defensive player of the year runner up last year and Brett Halsmeyer, Kelvin Williams, who is the franchise leader in blocks. Shaquem Polk, who's now coming into just the second year in the Miranda Knoll system, who will be, I think, an even bigger reckon with in that Atlanta zone and in their matchup defenses. JP Burns, who might be the underrated defender in that Atlanta lineup. He looked great mm-hmm. in the first half of the playoff game against New York making plays both as uh, a coverage defender and off of the turn, kind of in a counterattack. Um, you can just kind of keep going on. And now they add El Salam ostensibly to that lineup. Um, and I think the even kind of bigger news that pairs along with El Salam joining is that now it sort of feels like 
the hustle D line has both the defensive playmaking and now throwing ability off of the turn to maybe shift John Stubbs more into a full-time offensive role, which is where I think you kind of push this hustle team into not only do they maybe beat Carolina, but are they a championship team like right out of the gate when you talk about the addition of Bobby Lay and Brad Sunchins, depending on where Sunchins lines up, you 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 have a hustle offense of John Stubbs, Austin Taylor, who is an MVP finalist, Bobby Lay, Matt Smith, Carl Eckwurzel, Elijah Jaime, Tanner Robinson, Hayden Austin Nett. Like you can just start naming off names, and and this Atlanta team looks really appetizing. It's their potential on paper talent heading into this season yeah absolutely and and great point about the sort of d-line firepower that Khalif brings like he was he was kind of the guy on San Diego last season to consistently stretch the field deep with his throws um sort of that like a lot of teams sort of have a a go-to gunslinger type on the d-line I think Stubbs was that a lot of the time for Atlanta last year but it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. And honestly, Khalif, like, he has a lot of offensive ability, too. So I do wonder if he has some spot starts on offense or, you know, if they need to load up a line, just switching him over. It's really, they have a lot of really versatile pieces, and this is just the latest one. Um, I also think, like, Khalif, in the zone, I I feel like I want to see him at the front of the zone. I'm like... I'm getting yeah. very excited thinking about like a Khalif, Kelvin, Fairley uh, <laughs> cup just chasing around the disc. Diabolical. I, it's so, I mean, really any any combination they throw out there has been amazing, but just having that much athleticism and length and leaping ability. And Khalif is so good on the mark too. Uh, yep. it's, it's getting me very excited to see what this new Atlanta defense looks like. I think you're touching on the versatility is really important because the, the bigger sort of background piece to this Khalif joining Atlanta edition is that it is a reuniting of Khalif with one of his first mentors and role models in the sport in Miranda Knowles, both of them uh, having their ultimate roots go back over a decade in the Seattle ultimate community and now getting to reunite kind of in the primes of their uh, respective careers at this point. Miranda, of of course, as a coach now and Khalif as a player, you know, if there's anyone to kind of tap into Khalif's potential as this sort of versatile talisman that they can insert and make plays wherever they put him, it's Miranda Knowles. Um, It's sort of one of those perfect fit signs where Mm -hmm. you don't really see this sort of, I think, unity between coach and player. Um, I, I, I wanted to kind of bring up quickly a quote, actually, from Khalif. It, it's almost 10 years old at this point. It's from a Sky Magazine article in 2012. Uh, but he's talking about Miranda being his role model. And this is El Salam from the article. My female role model is Miranda Roth. She, like Ben, uh, Ben Wiggins is the aforementioned men's role model that he had is a very well known and as a smart mind and amazing player. The same reasons apply with Miranda, but 
somewhat in a different way. Miranda worked hard to get to where she was and not just go to the track, take some days to throw with a buddy. No, she worked hard. She grinded to get where she is and would put her body on the line every game for her teammates. Not only that, but she is able to inspire me to never give up on myself or my team, no matter what is happening. Miranda took me when I was just a small, fast middle schooler and turned me into the defensive pit bull I am today. Anyone can coach a kid, but not many put him in the right path and watch him succeed with the ideas and ways you instilled in him. I, you know, I don't even That's have awesome. anything to say after that. It's yeah. just, it's evident that this is one of those things that it's going to work out really well, I think, for both coach, player, and just the team system in general for this signing. It's just kind of a an all arrows pointing up situation for the hustle right now. Yeah, it's a really nice fit. I, I feel like we've talked about it a bit with Minnesota, just the amount of pieces that they have and and versatility on both sides of the disc like i don't know i kind of expect them to do some experimenting with rotations early in the season obviously like they have uh you know a lot of their core back from last year but yeah i'm you know it's guys like john stubbs and khalif that i feel like can truly play on either side of the disc and really be an asset to either line and maybe maybe like if khalif is if he has a certain spot in the zone, maybe he he focuses on zone points for defense. Or if he's a better matchup defender, maybe they stick him on matchup defense. But I I love the idea of having guys that can really fit in anywhere within the system. And obviously, Miranda is an expert at figuring out where guys should fit and when. And yet, at the same damn time, Daniel... This Atlanta team is in a division with the reigning champions who will probably return 95% plus of their roster from their 2021 title run. And like you were saying, as good as this edition is, as good as the hustle editions have been in general with Lane's, Sunchins, and just the general, I think, maturation of a team that is still very much in its prime up and down the roster – is this enough to leapfrog a Flyers team that is just as deep and just as talented in their top line rotations? You know, I, I mean, honestly, honestly, Atlanta, like they could have, I mean, they did beat Raleigh or sorry, Carolina. They beat Carolina once last season. They were in prime position to do it again in their second meeting, but just had this massive collapse halfway through the third quarter. Like I don't know. I don't think Carolina was so much better than Atlanta last season. And I don't think they're going to be so much better than Atlanta this season either. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Don't do your hedging stuff. Like I'm talking about the playoff game. I'm talking about the end of the season when you have to go up against one other team to get to championship weekend. Sure, sure. One game, Atlanta versus One Carolina game against in the playoffs. The Carolina team that got Can the Atlanta Dallas monkey it? off of its back that now has championship confidence that still has all of its major playmakers in their prime. It, like what? You know, just, I mean, without it, without seeing this- without without seeing anything, uh, without seeing any of these teams play at this year, if I had to set the line. Central playoff game right now, 
I would give Carolina like a point. I would say it'd be Carolina by one. Um, and I think, I, I truly think any given day, Atlanta will be able to beat Carolina. But yeah, I mean, if you're asking me right now who I would favor in the game, I, I would still take Carolina because of that added postseason experience, particularly what they got last year. But who knows? I mean, it's it's going to be fun. I, when do these teams play? Do they play opening weekend? They Maybe play right? opening weekend. They play opening night. It's our first they game. Are the first game <laughs> of the season. Yeah. So that'll be cool. And obviously last last year it was a super exciting game to start the year with an overtime win for Atlanta. Uh, and just like Carolina looking pretty different than they looked later in the season. Like they took a while to hit their stride last year. So I expect so, them to to come in hotter right out of the gates this year, but should be a fun week one. Really? Cause I'm, I'm starting to wonder if that is a little bit of a tinker matchup for Denardis and the flyers, you know, like obviously they want to win it and obviously they have the talent to win it, even if they are tinkering with long. But as we saw the Flyers in 2021, they like to experiment a little bit with their rotations and with all their talent and just see what they can yield from those kinds of... Last year, they figured out they could start spelling Eric Taylor on D-line half the time, and that ignited their championship run. It'll be interesting to see if they have a similar approach in this game or conversely, if Atlanta has more of that approach with their new additions of El Salam, Lei, Soonchins, and and some of the younger guys who are going to be maturing into larger roles like a Adam Miller or a Hayden Austin Nab or a Kenny Taylor. You know, it'll be it'll be kind of interesting to see if both of these expected playoff teams will trade straight punches in week one, or if it'll be a little bit of a punch counter punch matchup. Kind of yeah, I mean, I don't know how much tinkering Carolina needs to do at this point. These guys play with each other, you know, year round at this point in all the different divisions. So it really is to me like when there are particularly big name signings with the team, that's when you're most likely to see that that early season, you know, shuffling of rotations. But they're going to be dealing with. Hold on, hold on. They're going to be dealing with Atlanta featuring Bobby Lay for the first time. You don't think that deserves a little bit of tinkering and seeing who takes away what from a hustle attack that now features, you know, two of the maybe five best pure power throwers in the league in Bobby Lay and Austin Taylor? Like, I'm just saying, like, this is one of those matchups where I think, like, there's a lot of kind of head level play here going on at the coaching level. As far sure, as what sure. you're showing, who you're showing where. And Carolina always seems to have amazing rookies. So, you know, figuring out where they fit in, of course, will be a factor. So who knows? I just I want I want it to be week one already. I just want to see this game. It really is getting to be unfair. And we were talking about this a little before the show about how contentious this two playoff seeds in the South are going to be with Carolina and Atlanta ostensibly being kind of in the driver's seats for those two spots. But Austin and Dallas really, really, really wanting to get 
back into yeah. the playoffs. Dallas for the fifth straight season and Austin for the first time since 2017. And uh, it, it's just, I don't know. Like we, we, we've talked about the central kind of being a dog fight. I, I think the South is really going to be one to watch going. It could be. I mean, yeah, every game's going to matter a lot. And, you know, even though Carolina and Atlanta are playing each other super early and, and you might need to do some rotational stuff, switching guys around, like they, neither team is going to take any game for granted. And especially with Dallas and Austin really like, I mean, yeah, Dallas Dallas is now in like a prove-it year, sort of, despite having made the playoffs every year of their existence. Uh, and Austin is just trying to like ride this current momentum they have and see if they can actually get back to the playoffs as a true contender. So, and then there's Tampa, of course. Um, but, you know, I, I think Dallas and Austin are not going to take Carolina and it like they're not going to accept Carolina and Atlanta just being at the top of this division like they are going to fight every game uh I could see Carolina or Atlanta dropping a game to Austin or Dallas I think any of those outcomes is pretty realistic as we were talking about before the show it's sort of unfair for the entire division that if Dallas is quote-unquote the fourth best team and they're in a prove-it year that right that doesn't make not any sense. something any other division can say that they have a dallas level team that's sort of backed into a corner that loves to play defense and loves to play close matchups and loves to say we outgrind you yeah like it's just this very very deep in 2022 it'll be really interesting deal with the texas road trip because that's always been kind of an ankle biter or or trap in the past for good teams or teams with aspirations you need to at least split that road trip in austin and dallas right right and if you go oh two it just it really snake bites your whole season yeah it's gonna be tough this year austin and dallas also play week one of the regular season so we have that to look forward to the day after Atlanta and Carolina. It's just going to be like a rivalry showdown the opening weekend weekend right off the bat because we also get yeah. DC New York in that opening I weekend. Know. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> no and huge we, central games, right? Uh, I'd have to go any. look back. I think that they have a little bit softer schedule on the opening weekend just because of weather yeah, yeah. and things. But We like it um, warmer. It'll it'll heat up very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Central, there is a significant piece from the Central Division 2021 champion Chicago Union moving to the West Division. Uh, Drew Swanson making his Seattle Cascades debut in a couple weeks. Uh, just announced as we're recording this show. He's been one of the top block getters in his first two seasons of play. He was an all-rookie team member in 2019. He was an all-defensive team member in 2021. He led the league, I believe, in blocks per game among uh, qualified members, which is like five or more games uh, played. He's, he's just a different level defensive playmaker at the professional level and to add to young seattle defense that already kind of has a few nice pieces with tony veneri 
uh, Shane Worthington, uh, Aiden Lopez Escares, kind of Jack Brown if he rotates on the D line. Uh, really nice pickup for a skates team that still has a lot of developmental potential heading into 2022, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Swanson is a monster uh, physically and and the way he plays. He's six five. I think he's been sort of like somewhat typecast as just this this deep defender that's big and all over the field. But he does an extremely good job defending underneath cuts. I've seen him defending in the handler space. He's like a very good all around defender. And the fact he's so young and and has so much like swag about his play i just feel like it fits so well into this cascades d-line that just showed a lot of punch last season like very consistently um i you know i don't think they really had a big guy like this um at least last year in recent history so having another guy that can just be like a takeaway machine particularly in the deep space it's going to be huge and uh, seattle you know, it always feels like they have a pretty talented all-around roster. They can just never seem to put it all together. And I'm not saying they will necessarily put it all together this year, but Swanson definitely helps elevate this D-line to a point where, like, they're now a very intimidating defense to go up against in addition to their counterattack being so, you know, multidimensional. They're going to be a, another upset special like they were in 2021. Dallas experienced yeah, it at home in the, the Friday night ultimate game. San Diego almost had it happen to them in, uh, I believe, week four at yeah. Seattle. Uh, Austin. Lost. And as you as you have kind of covered, it's that it's that D line mentality. And Seattle did lose a very key piece of their defense in Garrett Martin, who's now going to be playing for the Salt Lake Shred in 2022. Uh, but picking up Swanson, I mean, as far as just a pure matchup defender, he's one of the top in the league. He he really ignited yeah. that Union defense's ability to earn the disc back, even against the Flyers in the semifinal. He was coming up with big blocks and big moments. He had a he had a red zone stuff on the goal line, uh, I believe on Fisher or Fairfax, uh, kind of coming off the backside and just reading it perfectly. And then later in the game, again, in the end zone, denying kind of an upline scuber from Elijah Long intended for El Naviolette. Just in overtime. No blocking. Yeah, you know, like two huge they blocks. A, they get to add a defender of that caliber just sort of as this punchy undercard team in the West. You know, we talk about how excited we are for Salt Lake and Colorado and Portland who are all going to be very punchy coming into their first season in the West division. But Seattle, they, they have a little bit of experience. Now they have a little bit of roster integrity, their offense returns, their top weapons in many Eckerd and Tark AQs. They're going to be a little fun to watch. Yeah. Definitely. I'm I'm super curious to see how they compete with the new expansion teams because I feel like there's a good chance maybe with maybe with Salt Lake particularly, like I feel like those matchups will be a lot of fun. Uh we'll still see about Portland and Colorado, but you know, it, it feels like with the new expansion teams sort of slowly adapting to AUDL play and Seattle coming out likely with a stronger roster than they fielded last year, you know, they they're going to win a 
good chunk of games this year, whether that's, you know, getting to 500 potentially, but either way, like they're, you know, they're one of those teams that can change the standings pretty quickly and drastically, even if they're like out of a playoff spot. So we'll see what happens. I mean, the, the Garrett Martin loss is obviously huge and, and Drew Swanson is a very different type of player than Garrett Martin. So we'll see like what their counterattack looks like, especially in that backfield handler role. But having Swanson, I know, I know Drew like really wants to develop his offensive game some more. And honestly, maybe Martin not being there anymore sort of gives him this further opening to develop it. Whereas on Chicago, like there were so many pieces around him that were really good offensive players on the counterattack last year with Kirk Gibson, Peter Graffy, Jeff Robinson, Tim Schock. Like there wasn't really a need for him to get super involved on offense. I think there's going to be a need this year, and I'm, I'm excited to see D-line counterattack Swanson uh, take over on Seattle. He did score 20-plus goals in his rookie campaign playing mostly D-line. You know, he has that yeah. potential to activate as kind of a playmaker off of the turn. So if there's sure. someone who can, can develop a couple more throws in his repertoire and just get a little bit more consistent with the disc, you know, as they showed last year, they love to run off of turns and just having another big athlete in that stable of D-line rotation players. It's yeah, it, it's not going to be fun to play Seattle in Seattle. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, he's also a guy that just feeds on that energy of the home crowd, just like the rest of the D-line. But yeah, I, I love this fit. I think it's great. I, as a Chicago fan, I'm upset to lose him, but happy for him to be in the new situation that he is. Now I think jumping to the geographic furthest team from Seattle, uh, talking about Boston glory, uh, they announced the re-signing of their captain and kind of the face of the franchise so far, Ben Sadok, who made the all AUDL second team in 2021, one of just uh, six players to finish with over 60 scores and 6,000 total yards of offense last season, just a different level offensive producer for the glory. Uh, he'll, of course, be returning alongside Tanner Johnson, and that will give Boston a kind of nuclear core to their offense that, frankly, rivals anyone in the division as far as a one-two punch. You know, D.C. and New York have a little bit deeper playmaking and a little bit more of a pedigree given their experience in the playoffs and everything in the professional level but Sadok and Johnson are going to be really tough to stop in year two I mean they were tough to stop in year one and they were just getting their feet underneath <laughs> yep. of them yeah uh they're they're such good compliments to each other and and the fact that they both are like just so comfortable in the backfield also so comfortable leaving the backfield and attacking downfield in pretty different ways um, it just like, it opens the offense so much more, I guess it was particularly when Tanner Johnson was out there with Sadok because we saw a lot of Sadok last season, like the, the difference, you know, it was, it was a clear difference when Johnson was in the lineup and the way those two can just like swing the disc back and forth, attack upline space very reliably. There are a lot to deal with. And, you know, we saw them come within a goal of beating New York. Uh, in their final game of 2021. So Sadok is is awesome. I, I I truly think he is the best downfield cutter of any center handler in the league. 
he looks like i mean he's he's small he's undersized you expect him to just be hanging out in the backfield all game because when he is he has such good command of the offense but when he releases and just becomes a cutter halfway through the point he's like so determined to attack the deep space he's really smart he's constantly like checking over his shoulder having that field awareness to attack open space and you know the the amount of talent on this glory line sort of allows for him to have this more expanded role and the fact that he's playing with Tanner Johnson this season uh, for hopefully the vast majority of the year that's just going to open up things even further so Boston was what the second highest scoring offense in the league last Mm -hmm. season second Mm -hmm. highest scoring team Uh, you know I think they'll be right up there again yeah I mean Sudoku is just a bothersome cover as you kind of go over it's it's not just his intelligence, it's his insistence. He reminds me a lot of Anders Jungst a bit in just the way he's constantly moving, constantly checking angles, isn't mm-hmm. afraid to exploit the brick side, isn't pra- afraid to kind of cycle in and out for a rotation and not necessarily get the disc, but just kind of keep his defender in mind that I'm always searching for this. And like... He, of course, makes highlight reel plays and is centrally involved to the offense, but he makes a lot of easy scores. He's just running away from people. Yeah. In general, it's that. And it's first season that I think is going to be a very underrated part of them heading into, you know, year two that's going to be kind of frontlined in their division by DC and New York. You know, if. If those teams don't watch out for Boston, Boston has the talent to pick off anyone in the East. It's it's mostly about can they can they find that like cohesion that they lacked in 2021, where they were dropping, you know, close games that they probably shouldn't have, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I the hope I have for Boston is just, you know, a lot of those late game uh mistakes or collapses whatever you want to call them I I do feel like a lot of that was just attributed to Boston being in their first season in the league and not totally accustomed to all the all the in-game adjustments you have to make to be a a super competitive AUDL team Um, obviously their defense you know didn't look great for a lot of last season and hopefully that continues to improve but yeah as far as offensively I, I agree with you I think I would expect more consistency from the team this year, especially if Sadok and Johnson are in the lineup most weeks. If they re-add Babcock and Topher Davis and Willie Stewart and Tanner Hulkyard, it's it's going to be a problem yeah. for these teams to keep up with them. They got a lot of guys. Ryan Cable, I mean, they, you say, too? You I forgot about... I forgot about this celestial. It's the problem. It's the problem with listing any groups of players. You're almost always going to leave one guy off. But that's why we're. That's why there are two of us to to check each other on that. To can't forget Orion Cable. Catch with falls through the crumb getters. Man, (laughs) that I hope that doesn't stick. Uh, but no, you know, I'm just I'm really excited for Boston in the East, and uh, I. If the Canadian teams don't bring a little bit better deep defense into Boston, they're going to have a really tough time with Sadok and Tanner Johnson and the way that Glory just kind of like to put it up and let their yeah. playmakers go get. Yeah. And I, I just 
Doak and Johnson play in that offense just allows them to take over the game however they need to, you know, whether that's one of them striking deep or it's just them working back and forth in the handler set. I don't really feel like there's an equivalent like that on many other teams, at least as far as duos go. Like to just have one of those players that can take over at any level of the field is extremely valuable, but to have two, I guess, you know, it's New York Edmonds in 2019. Um, I guess New York can do it too when they need to, but I don't know. I feel like a lot of that is still just Jack Williams. Mostly. Ryan Asgar is pretty good in the backfield with the disc. Ben Yacht is pretty good in the backfield with the disc. They, that's yeah. one of the most potent parts of their offense. I think is the interchangeability between their upfield and backfield space, you know, much, yeah, much like Boston. Fair. That is just a, that is a hard cover. Either you're exploiting man basically, or, or matchup defense, excuse me, or you're asking for a very communicative switch, which is hard right. against players the caliber of Tanner Johnson, <laughs> yeah. Ben Sadok, Ben Yacht, Ryan Osgar, et cetera. Um, for sure. But kind of transitioning into again, more Empire signing news, they seem to be done with their sort of star, star level additions after Antoine Davis, but they continue to pick up just these, you know, capital letters here, really nice pieces, you know, it, we were talking about before just the kinds of signings that championship rosters make um, the empire announcing this past week, the signing of Charles Weinberg and Ethan Fortin for the 2022 season Weinberg coming over from Minnesota after a very successful 2021 season for the windshield and Fortin coming over from Boston. And prior to that, Philadelphia Fortin, mainly a defensive player, a defensive handler cover, um, but has a lot of handling experience, and that's an area of need, I think, right now for the umpire, just sort of more D-line throwing and D-line handler vets, I think is really going to bulk up that umpire defense that was at times a little mediocre in 2021, and, and Weinberg, just another kind of versatile midfield receiver-thrower combo, doesn't really do anything bad with the disc kind of only contributes positively for your offense as sort of a space and pace player like that. They, that gets to play alongside the aforementioned Jack Williams, Ben Yacht, Ryan Osgar, maybe Antoine Davis, John Lithio, Elliot Chartok, you know, the, the depth <laughs> of New York's offensive playmaking at this point, and just not, not even playmaking, but the, they're all just so consistent at knowing what is the right play to make. Mm -hmm. It's scary. It's scary it to is. think of what it's going to take to throw New York off of its sort of center heading into 2022. Yeah, they feel way deeper this year. And maybe it's just the fact that, that they did announce Antoine Davis. And now these are like two really nice depth pieces, but you know, I think depth was an issue for them last year. Maybe ran into some depth issues the year before too. Uh, you know, I guess last year I always think of just when they had to turn to Yacht, Williams, uh, maybe Oscar too, just to play these ungodly amount of points in the same game. Um, <laughs> I think, I think Fortin like that, that's sort of immediately addressing a pretty big problem in their D line handler spot that like, you know, the past few years, they haven't really had, that much reliability or consistency 
as that like leader of the D-line counterattack. And so I think Forden should slot in super nicely. Weinberg, I kind of view as like a, like, you know, obviously a more complimentary cutter. Like he's not going to be as featured as Yad or Oscar, but he's going to be like a, like a Connor Klein or Matt Stevens, except he also has these huge throws that were like very underrated and opening things up for Minnesota last season. So I'm just excited to see him like cutting alongside all these super talented cutters. And I think both these guys should fit in pretty nicely. Uh, I, yeah, just, New York feels like they're getting deeper, which is scary because their top end talent is so intimidating. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Is there a team? I guess it's really only DC that I feel like can match up with them, you know, guy for guy. But even then, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough just with the big three that they have, and now adding these guys behind them. Yeah, so I. I really like the Weinberg pickup. I, I like both pickups, you know, they're kind of neat yeah. fits, but in particular Weinberg, because like he said, like you were saying, he has that power dimension as if oh, wow, like Tartok slotted into this offense last year and averaged damn near 600 yards of throwing throughout most of the regular <laughs> right. season per game. Right. Uh, it, Weinberg kind of feels like, he's in that sort of in the NBA, they kind of term it the dunker role. It's sort of the, the player who's maybe not your star, but they get a lot of favorable looks, both cutting to the lane for dunks and threes. And that kind of feels like what Weinberg is setting up to be where he's just going to be able to kind of use his high IQ and, and shoot into space to targets that feature Jack Williams, Osgar, Ben Yacht, John Lithiao, you know, like, that's that's kind of a tailor-made situation for a player like Weinberg to succeed. It's also another signing that makes me want them to use Antoine on defense even more. So I I really think their D-line can be extremely good offensively, especially if they add Antoine to that D-line. And they're still going to have so many good matchups with Weinberg and the rest of their O-line on offense. I you know, to me, it's just another, it's more evidence. I, I think they need to keep Antoine on defense. I haven't heard anything about what they plan to do, but this is just me, uh, you know, speaking it into the world some more, hoping it happens. No, I'm right there with you. And I just, I want the Bash brother potential of Babbitt and Antoine and Brownlee, yeah. honestly. Yeah, like, and MK That is a hydra of playmaking defenders to deal with. And they're all kind of, able to play off and play safety a bit because of their athletic acumen. So to have three of those, in addition to the Dross brothers who are both top four all time in blocks, in addition to Ryan Holmes, in addition to Ben Katz, like there's just a lot of pieces all of a sudden to like on the depth component and just from like a cohesion D line standpoint about the, what, what the empire are going to be bringing in, especially with Fortin, Another year of Solomon Rushmeyer Bailey, who was able to spell a lot on D line last year. Yeah, yeah, Empire. they do actually. They actually kind of have a nice D line handler set. If if Solomon Rushmeyer Bailey plays D line, you know him, Cats, Fordon, like they'll probably have some rotation of those three guys. And Chartok even ended the season last year on defense too. Like they they've really done a good job addressing this need and it, it feels like they have depth in all the right spots at this point. 
And we'll move over to an East Division rival who is still kind of looking to crack through in the playoff scene. The Philadelphia Phoenix have announced their full 2022 roster. They will be returning, I think, a majority of their offense from 2021 and a good portion of their defense. But they do have a lot of new players, a new head coach and Roger Chu, and just kind of a new feel, I think, after... Uh, 2021 season where at times it felt like they could punch with the New York's and the DC's and the Boston's of the division. But at other times it felt like they were a step or two behind some of that competition. I I love the youth on this Phoenix team. Obviously Greg Martin, Sean Mott are always going to be playmakers to watch on highlight films and stuff. I guess the question I have for you, Daniel is do you think that this year they will be able to compete for a playoff spot in the East Division? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> they're you know they're a team that I I do feel like every year there's there's always potential, especially with how young they are, and you just kind of expect these guys to continue to develop. But it still mm-hmm. feels like they're you know a couple years away from really contending in what should be a really competitive East division. Like, you know, with the Canada teams coming back, I feel like Philly can sort of slot in with them as far as the standings go, but, you know, getting up to the, the Boston, New York, DC level, and they did beat Boston last year. So like they're, they are going to have games that, and they, I think they played New York to within a goal last season too. Like they'll have games where they keep it super competitive I think you just you notice with younger teams a lack of consistency from start to finish. And, you know, we saw a game by game last year, like Philly started two and oh, I believe, with wins over Tampa and Pittsburgh, if I remember correctly, um, who, of course, finished at the bottom of the Atlantic. But, yeah, we just kind of saw this this up and downness to Philly last season. I think you're just kind of bound to see that with a younger team like this. And, it, you know, I still like a lot of these guys longer term, and I, I think they have a high ceiling, but it's just going to take a little bit of time for it all to come together. But also new coaching staff, you never know what new coaches can come in and do with the lineup. Like, I feel, I felt like Philly may have gotten a little stagnant in their rotations last year. Um, so, you know, fresh perspective. Uh, for example, I like James Pollard playing offense, which he did last year for like oh, yeah. a good chunk of the time. I, I loved that decision. So like little things like that, where you're switching guys over. Greg Martin obviously came alive last year out of nowhere. So, I you know, there's talent to be used on this team. It's just sort of a lack of cohesion at this point. And I think what's really going to be the determining factor for them is the schedule. I mean, they have one of the harder four-game opens. They start at Boston, then at New York, home to Montreal, and then at Montreal. Uh, Yeah, two just tough road games against potential playoff teams right off the bat for a young Phoenix team, and then kind of almost uh it's in back-to-back weekends at home against montreal before going on the road to face the royale and those phoenix royale games are always pretty feisty they match up really well historically so just no real i think you know 
this is our game matchups in those first four games. And, and yeah. I think that's, that's just a little tough for, again, a, a new team, a team going through kind of a system change. There's, there's so much to like, and I kind of expect by the second half of the season, they're going to be spicy. They're going to be a team that's going to be affecting possible playoff home field advantage, or even a playoff team making it or not. But yeah, right out of the gate that's just that's a really hard task to go on the road at boston on the road at new york yeah it's t- i don't think they're gonna they're gonna play zero games this year that i would call gimmies for them even when they play ottawa i think those will be competitive good games you know they're they're gonna be in a lot of games i just don't think they'll pull ahead in enough of them to get in playoff contention this season That'll do it for this episode of Swing Pass. As always, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Huck Ruffner. That's R-U-F-F-N-E-R. And Daniel is at It's Daniel Cohen. Uh, we love to talk about Frisbee at any and all times, so feel free to reach out. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday and every Wednesday after that as we get closer and closer to the 2022 AUDL season. Uh, and we hope you tune in every week. And if you could... On whatever listening platform you currently have this on, if you just want to give us a quick review, give it five stars, that would be so great. Um, and thank you again, as always, for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you again soon.